The following audio is from Harvest Fellowship. For more information about Harvest Fellowship, visit harvestabq.org. Men, I know February uh, feels a long ways away, but this next week is Thanksgiving, and then it's Christmas, and then it's New Year's, and then it's Men's Conference. All right, that's how that works. Uh, There is uh, uh, the best rate available through the end of uh, January, and so we wanted to start getting that to you early so you can make plans. Um, So wives, just right now, just put it on your men's calendar. Uh, on your husband's calendar. Just go ahead and buy them a ticket. Give it to them for Christmas. Uh, You will be so glad that your husband goes to men's conference. So I hope that you uh, will prioritize it. It's always an amazing, an amazing thing. Hey, I have to give a shout out to uh, a couple different groups. One, thank you to all of the families who uh, signed up to bring Thanksgiving food baskets today uh, as uh, people were showing up for church. It was so fun just watching people getting out of their cars, carrying giant baskets of food. Um, I had someone tell me, they said, we went a little bit crazy, all right? And that's good. If there's something to go crazy about, this is something to go crazy about. It's helping families. So after church today, we'll have 25 families that will receive uh, those groceries and their Thanksgiving will be much brighter because of your generosity. Thank you for choosing to live with open hands. And then the second group is our food pantry team from yesterday. Um, Would you just give a hand to our food pantry team? We do food pantry every month, every month, third Saturday, but yesterday was the biggest one of the whole year. We served 118 families yesterday. It was awesome. I, uh, I legitimately think that, that God did like a feeding of the 5,000 type miracle. We did not have enough food for 118 families, but somehow we had enough food for 118 families. And uh, uh, our team just, I just wanted to brag on you. You did absolutely amazing. So thank you for that. There's a lot going on at Harvest. It is a fun place to be a part of. I know uh, Pastor Tyler already announced open house, but listen, if you are new to Harvest, if you're checking it out, if you're trying to figure out if this is the, the church family for you, Open House is the place for you to find that out. You get to meet all of our staff. You get to learn all about how we do things. You'll have an opportunity to sign up if, uh, uh, if you want to serve. I, I'm just, I, I just wanted to plug it one more time. Uh, Open House is one of Lisa and I's absolute favorite events. It is so much fun, and so I hope you'll do that. Uh, today, you are in for a treat. Uh, we have a guest speaker with us today, my friend Chris Sunks. And, uh, has come. And uh, some of you, uh, he's actually spoken here before, so some of you might remember him. Uh, some of you have read his books because we've actually given away some of his books uh, over the years. Chris became a friend several years ago. And uh, we, one of the things that we do together is we work together with a ministry called Convoy of Hope and specifically for Feed One. Many of you remember our Feed One Sunday not long ago. Uh, Chris and I, uh, together, we really actively worked to get New Mexico churches involved in Feed One. We've taken pastors to Haiti to see their efforts. We've taken them to El Salvador. We've taken them to Nicaragua. Uh, on one of our trips to Haiti, we were stuck in the worst traffic jam of my entire life. I mean, literally all day we were in traffic. We didn't realize when we planned the trip that there was a national holiday and it shut the city down. And so we, we celebrated that holiday in, in our little tour van. Uh, but I love working with Chris. He's a great friend. He's coached Lisa and I uh, for a number of years and helped us as we make decisions uh, here at Harvest. And uh, I wanted him to come and to share with you today. One of the things that Chris is now doing, he'll tell you more about it, is something called Church Rescue. And I want you to know that in 2024 that we have made Church Rescue one of our missions partners. And uh, and so I, want, I, I like when we have a missions partner that is able to come and share. I like you to meet them and hear about what's going on. And the way we do it here is that when you give, like Pastor Tyler just talked about, when you give, you're part of feeding 118 families uh, through food pantry. When you give, you're helping with our Marie Hughes efforts. Uh, that's our local school and all the things that we do there. When you give, you're helping support missionaries around the world. When you give, you're doing all kinds of things. You're feeding kids. You're, you're doing all kinds of things. And next year, one of our partners is Church Rescue, something that Chris is very passionate about. I, I share that passion. You'll hear more about it. And I just wanted you to know that this is something that you're going to be a part of next year. Uh, just this is one of our things that we're going to do. And so uh, beyond all of that, Chris is uh, a man of God. He's, 
He's ready to share the word today. I know it's going to impact your life immensely. And I want to do one thing, because this is what we do every single week, is I just want to lead you in a quick prayer. Uh, the, the purpose of this prayer is I'm asking you, would you position your heart to hear from God today? I believe that God has a word for every single person that's in the room today. And while he can talk to all of us, the entire room, he can talk to you individually today. Because God knows exactly what you're thinking today. He knows what questions you have. He knows the pain in your heart. He knows everything that's going on. And today, as Chris brings the word, I want the Holy Spirit to cause it to come alive to every single one of us today in a real and fresh way. So how many of you will pray that prayer with me today? All right, let's pray. Jesus, I'm so thankful for your word. And today, we don't, we don't, we don't brush past this. This is a moment that is holy. It's sacred to us. And so we pause and we, just, we ask you today, all across this room, speak to each and every one of us. Lord, right now, I open in my heart, and as Chris brings the word, allow your Holy Spirit to cause it to come alive to me today, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Would you help me welcome Chris Songson as he comes today? Well, good morning. Oh, come on, you can do better than that. You're at the best place to be all week long. Good morning. It is going to be awesome to be able to hang out with you guys today. What a joy it is uh, to be able to be here. Jason and Lisa are incredible friends of mine and uh, love them very much. It isn't always the easiest thing to be a pastor. Uh, there's always those wonderful emails that come your way and people that are so kind on social media. And... Uh, um, and it can be hard, but you have amazing pastors that love you, uh, even though it's difficult sometimes being in the ministry. Would you do me a favor, above any noise you've made this morning, would you give honor where honor is due to your amazing pastors, Jason and Lisa? Come on, thank them for all they do. It isn't easy, but they do it, and they do it so gracefully and love them so much. They're just such great friends. Awesome to be able to be with you. Hey, uh, we are going to jump into it. I want to minister to you just for a few minutes, and then right at the end, turn the corner, talk to you about this other initiative. Jason and I partner with Feed One, but want to talk to you a little bit about rescuing churches, and so excited that Harvest, starting in January 2024, is going to be a partner uh, with Church Rescue, but we'll dive into that. A little bit about me. Uh, I have been married. I'm from Southern California. I have been married for 32 years. Yeah, come on now. To a beautiful Mexican woman. Oh, she's hot. And um, oh man, she, I call her my little hot tamale. And uh, she doesn't speak any English, but that helps us get along. Um, it's hard to argue about something if you can't really talk to each other. So She's awesome. We have, uh, we've been here for 32 years. We have two amazing children, and then we have this third one. No, I'm just doing it. I'm playing. <laughs> totally playing. Totally playing. And our, uh, we have two amazing children, and our adult daughter, uh, as of three years ago, or in the last three years, has given us two granddaughters. We have a three-year-old and a one-year-old. How many are grandparents here? Come on. Isn't it the best thing on the planet? You know what grandparenting is? It's God's gift to you for you not killing your own kid. That's really what it is. I was holding my adult, I was holding my granddaughter recently, and my adult son says to me, Dad, it's like you love her more. I said, no, it's not like I do. I do. I want to be clear. And I, this is what I told him. I said, you had a good run. It's over for you. It's the best thing on the planet. I'm telling you, it is absolutely amazing. Well, hey, if you got a Bible, we're going to jump in in a moment. We won't go there yet, but in a moment, we'll go to 1 Samuel 17. Go ahead and go there. If you don't have a Bible, next time at a hotel, get one. They're free. I steal them, and then I sell them on eBay. It's a side hustle I do. Um, it's all to help people. It's a, it's a missions project. Um, a while back, I want to minister to you and turn the corner at the end, but a while back, I was late to an appointment. Now, let's all lean in. Let's have some fun. I want you to laugh a lot. Lean in. Let's have a good time. So I was recently uh, uh, driving down the freeway, and I was late for an appointment, and, uh, uh, and I was going to go speak somewhere or do something, but I was late for an appointment, and I knew I was going to be late, and I hate being late. I li love being on time. Major difference between me and my wife. That's why we take separate cars everywhere we go. And so I hate being late. So I'm flying down the freeway doing a nice, good Christian 95. And, um, 
And I'm flying down the freeway. How many of you ever, by the way, how many of you have ever been flying down the freeway or ran a yellow light and you say a prayer that you won't get caught? <laughs> Lord, as I break the law, may you be with me. Come on, you prayed that. So I'm driving down the freeway doing a nice, good Christian 95, and I'm like, God, please help me, you know, blah, blah, blah. I just need to get there. All of a sudden, I look in the mirror, and there's the red and blue lights. Woo, woo. And they're just, I mean, the lights are going. The whole thing is going. And so I'm thinking, man, now what do I do? So I punched it. No, I'm sorry, I, um, and so, I, so I'm like, oh, man, now I pull over, you know, and then I'm thinking, okay, now I'm going to be even more late. It's going to cost me more money, you know, and, and whatever, and all this stuff's going through my head. And so I pull over. He gets out of the car. I look in the mirror. You know how you always do. He comes walking towards me. I look over. Now, pay attention. This is important. I look over, and I see my Bible sitting there. Okay, now I know what I'm about to tell you. You're going to judge me, but I just want to be honest with you. And by the way, don't you love it when a pastor says, can I be honest with you? Because I'm always thinking, what have you been doing up to this point? But anyway, I grab my Bible as he's coming up real quick. I grab my Bible and I put it on the dashboard. How bad is that? Because I'm thinking, maybe he's one of us. So the Bible's up there. I had to put a little candle and a cup of tea because it's got to look like a social media devotion. And um, you know how people always do that? It cracks me up. But anyway... He comes up, and the Bible's sitting right there, and he comes up, and he goes, license and registration, please. So I give him my license and registration. The entire time he's talking to me, Pastor Jason, the entire time he's looking at me, dumb, you know, looking at the license registration, all that, looking at me, and he keeps doing this with his eyes, and they're shifting over, and I'm thinking, he's looking at my Bible, and he was. He kept looking at my Bible the whole time, and I'm thinking, I got him. This is it. And then finally, he's like, okay, I'll be back in a second. So I'm thinking, what is he doing? He goes back to the car. I look back up in the mirror. He starts writing me a ticket. And I'm thinking, dude, what happened? You know, I thought you were one of us. And then he comes walking back up, give my license registration, you know, and talks to me a little bit. And I sign here and I do all this stuff. The entire time, he still keeps looking at my Bible. And I'm thinking, man, what's up? You know, and so he says, all right, well, blah, 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 says all this stuff. He goes, okay, drive safely. He starts walking away and he leans his head back in the window points over to my Bible and says, oh, by the way, read Romans 13, 1. Now, I know a lot of the Bible, but I don't have every verse memorized. He drives away. I open it up, obey the laws of the land. <laughs> my luck, I had to get a Christian cop. <laughs> Worst thing you can do. <laughs> what he was really telling me was, hey, buddy, you might want to follow the entire Bible. You ever notice how easy it is to follow part of the Bible, but not all of it? It's true, isn't it? Come on now. Don't you love the verse that says he wants to open up the window of heaven and pour out a bucket of blessing on your life? Anybody like, anybody want a bucket of blessing from God? But then the verse says, ah, oh, but you got to be generous and tithe. Oh, I don't know if I like that part. God says, man, I want to forgive you for all the dumb things we do. Isn't that nice that God forgives us for all the stupid things we do? But yet, on the other hand, it says, okay, but when someone does something hurtful to you, you got to forgive them as well. Like, we like one part and not the other part. You know what else I've noticed about the Bible? There's 3,000 promises in the Bible. You ever notice how easy it is to claim God's promises for someone else than it is for yourself? Oh, hey, you need to trust God. God will come through. He's got your back. But then when we're going through it, we feel differently. That, goes, that problem goes back thousands of years ago. There's a story I want to dive into for a moment of David and Goliath. Even if you're new to church, maybe you're somewhat new, maybe you just came here for the donuts, whatever you did. Um, there's a story of David and Goliath, and you've probably heard of it. So let me set up the story for you, okay? Over here, okay, we've got this valley, and I've been there before. It's the valley where the fight took place between the Philistines, who are the bad guys. Say bad guys. Okay, and then you've got the Israel army. They're the good guys. Say good guys. Okay, you got the bad guys and the good guys. Over here is the Philistine army. Okay, they've got this dude named Goliath. He's nine foot six inches tall. Everybody's afraid of him. He comes out. He taunts the Israel army, mocks them, and mocks God. Okay, they're all afraid. The Israel army, they won't even go down in the valley. They're staying up on the, on the ridge over here because they're so afraid to even go out there and fight. Now, go up the hill a little bit of ways in the mountains, there's this dude named Jesse. Jesse has got a bunch of sons. He brings his sons together and says, sons, you need to go fight for the Israel army. They need some help. They're like, dad, we got it. They grab their swords, their javelin, their spears, and they take off to go fight with the, with the Israel army. And the youngest one is David. 
He runs out there and says, I'll fight too. And the dad goes, wait, wait, wait a minute. You're too small. You're too young. You don't know how to fight. We don't know how old David was, but we do know that he wasn't 20 years old yet because he hadn't taken the consensus. Uh, and if you had to be 20 to take it. So he's probably 17, 18, 19 years old. Dad says, you're too young. You tend the sheep and the brothers will go and fight. Some time goes by, he's out tending the sheep, probably upset about it because he wants to go and fight, proves he's a man. And the dad comes along with a basket about a, a, a little while later and says, here, I want you to take your brothers some bread and cheese. How demeaning is that? You know, why they're fighting because they're men, I want you to skip over there like Little Red Riding Hood and take a basket to them and I want you to feed them. He says, all right, dad, I'll do it. So he goes and he brings the basket to him and he finds them all standing up on the ridge because they won't go and fight against the Philistines. They're all afraid. The brothers are afraid and the army of Israel afraid. That's where we pick up the story. Here we go. Uh, verse uh, 24, 1 Samuel 17, 24. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant? They're talking about Goliath. The men ask. He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. Now look what David says. David asks his soldiers, including his brother. Remember, they, they're not fighting. They're too afraid to go fight Goliath and the Philistines. What will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he's allowed to defy the army of the living God? Don't you love the guts of David? He's like, you, can you imagine what they're all thinking? You little snot-nosed kid. You come out here going, what are you guys doing? Get out there and fight. Here's the truth that I love. David shows up on the scenes. You guys should be fighting. He's mocking God. He's mocking us. Get out there and fight. Here's what I think is so amazing is that, and, 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 and you want to take notes or write it down or take pictures, whatever you do. What others chose to accept, David chose to reject. Help me out. Say that out loud with me. What others chose to what? Come on, what others chose to what? David chose to. Okay, now here's, here's why. Don't, don't miss this, because he shows up on the scene, and he says, why are you guys not fighting? Okay, now understand, they're afraid of the, of the Philistines. And here's the deal. If they lose against the Philistines, they become the slave to the Philistine. That was the offer from Goliath. So here's what they're doing. Now watch me. They're sitting on the sideline, and this is what they're saying. We're not going to go fight. We'll just settle to become slaves. David comes along and says, why are you accepting so much less for your life? David says, man, what you guys are choosing to accept for your life, I'm choosing to reject. How often do we do that? How often do we accept so much less in our life than God has for us? Whether you are 15 years old in here or 85 years and older here, let me tell you something. God is not done with you. When God's done with you, you'll be dead. Until then, he is not done. And I did not grow up in a Christian home. I did not have that privilege. But when I became a Christian, I began to realize, man, and I did become a Christian as a teenager. I thought, man, I'm going all in. I had to ride my bike to youth group. But I went all in because I knew that if I go all in, God will go all out. And if I let go of what's in my hand, he'll let go of what's in his. And I just decided, man, I'm going for it. I am, I'm going to do everything I can. Because I didn't want this. And I think that we do that in our marriage. I think we do that with our children. I think we do that with our careers. I think we do that with our finances. I think we do that with our spiritual walk. We accept so much less than God has for our life. I do a lot of flying, about 150 to 180 flights a year. 161 last year, I think this year it'll be, it'll be about 180. 180 different flights in one year. That's what I do. So I do a lot of flying. You would think after all that flying, I would know what the Admiral Lounge is. How many have ever heard of the Admiral Lounge? They don't have it here in Albuquerque, but bigger airports, they have this Admiral Lounge. If you fly a lot on an Admiral Lounge, stay with me on this story, on an Admiral Lounge, if you fly a lot, you know, they'll give you this membership to an Admiral Lounge, and what happens is, it's, it's unreal. If you've never been in one, they got them at Dallas Airport. It, it, it's there, here's the terminal, you know, with all the people screaming and yelling, everybody's at McDonald's, and kids are throwing French fries, it's like a human Petri dish. And, um, and then, you open up this door, and you walk into this door, and it's the Admiral Lounge. And it's all quiet. And there's a quiet place where you can sleep. And they have restaurants and showers and masseuses. And they got a guacamole bar. It is heaven on earth. <laughs> and it's unbelievable. I didn't know anything about it. 
I just thought it was for pilots because doesn't it sound piloty? Admiral Lounge doesn't sound like it's for me. So I'm sitting there one, one time a few years back in the Dallas airport. We got a delay. You know, I, I'm sitting there by myself. A guy comes by I haven't seen in a while. He gives me a big hug. He goes, dude, I haven't seen you forever. I'm delayed. You're delayed. Hey, let's hang out in the Admiral Lounge. I'm all, dude, we can't hang out in the Admiral Lounge. He goes, what do you mean? I go, that's for pilots. He could not stop laughing. He goes, how do you not know what the Admiral Lounge is? And I said, I don't know what it is. I thought it was for pie. He's cracking up. You can't believe it. So all of a sudden, the doors opened up. I've never been in there before. I stepped in, and you could hear the angels, ah, and it was amazing. <laughs> and I walk in, and there it is. And I mean, it's unbelievable, you know. And the lady behind the counter goes, and what is your name, sir? And she takes my friend's name, you know, and types it in. Okay, and who's your friend, your guest? Yeah, yeah, I'm the guest. My name's Chris Songson. I give her the spelling, da-da-da-da. And she looks, she goes, oh, Mr. Songson, you've been a member for seven years. I said, excuse me? And she said, you've been a member for seven years. I have never been in it, and I've been a member for seven. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, you're telling me I've been a member for seven years. For seven years, I've been hanging out over here when I could have been inside of here in this place called heaven. Is that what you're telling me? For seven years, I'm hanging out over here at the bottom of the Titanic with Leonardo DiCaprio when I could have been over here with the woman with the necklace? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> seven years. Have you ever thought about this? Maybe it's been seven years that God says, anytime you want to step into what I have for you, it's there for you. You've been a member for seven years. You just haven't stepped into it yet. You've been a member for years. See, that's what David is showing up on the scene. He's like, why are you guys accepting slavery? Why are you guys accepting less? You've been a member for seven years. God's got something for your life for several years. I got to believe inside of this room there are books that have not yet been written. I got to believe there's songs that have not yet been composed. Business ideas that could finance this church and tons of other churches around the world. But we don't jump into all God has. And you know why? Because we let doubt get in our way. We let fear, come on now, do we let fear get in our way? We let doubt get in our way, we let fear get in our way. People always say to me, Pastor Chris, pray for me. I've got a fear problem. No, you don't, you have a belief problem. Because fear must always submit to belief. Maybe the reason you don't start that business or go back to school or take that step or do whatever it is that God has put inside of your heart is because of doubt, because of fear. How about because of insecurity? How about this one? Other people's opinions. You ever notice that? People will bring you down to a level that's comfortable for themselves. You know why they do that? Because your desire for excellence threatens their mediocrity. That's why it happens. And David comes along. David comes along and says, I'm not accepting slavery. We do. Slave to less than best for, that God has for our life. And David says, I'm not going to do that. Now, let's go back to the story. Remember, David mouths off and says, you guys are crazy. You, this guy's mocking God. Man, you're accepting less in your life. The king of the army of Israel overhears him. The dude's name is Saul. He calls David over. Now, David, little teenager, 17, 18 years old, has this, has this conversation with Saul. Okay, Saul calls him over, and here's how it goes. Ready? Look at, this, look at what it says in verse 32. Don't worry. I love this. Don't. <laughs> this is so funny to me. This is David in front of the king. Don't worry about this Philistine, David so told Saul. I'll go fight him. And I love this. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight the Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. He's probably thinking, you little, you know, snot-nosed kid, you little punk. Who are you? And then he says, you're only a boy, and you've been a man of war since youth. Look what David's first answer is. Could you imagine what Saul's thinking? I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goat. Oh, well, then you're ready. <laughs> you're mad. What, what's the king thinking in that first sentence? Dude, this is a lot more than a sheep or a goat, so I don't know what you're talking about. He says, I've been taking care of my, uh, uh, my father's sheep and goat. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I've done this to both the lions and the bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine. Oh, I love the confidence of David. Oh, he's so awesome. Two, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from the Philistine. Here's the thing that I think David realized, and this is big idea number two, is that David knew that the battle belonged to the Lord. Come on, put it up there for me. But the fight belonged to him.
David knew that the battle belonged to the Lord. Did you catch this? The battle belonged to the Lord, but the fight belonged to him. You ever thought about that? What did he say? I fought the bear and the lion, and the Lord rescued me. Oh, the battle belongs to the Lord. There's no doubt about that. But the fight belongs to me. You see, I think, I think God would say the same thing to you that David caught on. Hey, whether you're new to God or all that, or maybe you've been around church all your life, whatever, the battle belongs to the Lord. There's no doubt God's in control. God's got your back. God's love you. God is cheering you on. But please understand, the fight belongs to you and I. Hey, I, I need to fix my marriage. God wants to help you, but you got to get in counseling. That's part of your fight. My, my, my finances are a mess. Well, you need some guidance. God's going to help you, but you need some guidance. Okay, whatever it is in your life that you're struggling with, the battle belongs to the Lord. He's going to help you take down the lion and the bear, but the fight belongs to you and I. It always does. It belongs to you and I. A few years back, about things four years ago, four years ago, we, uh, uh, a bunch of our staff, I, I'm also the founding pastor of South Hills. We have 12 sites uh, South Hills Church does. We have 12 locations. And I'm the founding pastor. About, 12 year, about four years ago, we did this thing with about six or seven of our staff. We did a sprint triathlon. I've never done one in my whole life, and I will never do it again, <laughs> ever. <laughs> it was like 25 miles of riding a bike, and then like five miles of running, and then swimming. The swimming was what got me, because we weren't in a pool or a lake. We were in the ocean, it was like three quarters of a mile or something. You had to go out like a half mile or whatever, and they're half mile back in. And I, I live at the ocean, San Clemente Beach. I know how to surf and all that stuff, whatever. But I'm telling you, when the waves are up close, they make you hit the sand. If they're right in the middle, you can kind of get hit by a big wave, go down four, five, six feet, come right back up. Because the sand, you'll hit the sand and come back up. But if they're setting way out, you can get hit by a wave and go down 15 feet, and there's nothing for you to spring off of. It's a big deal. So... Of course, the day of our, the day of our uh, event at uh, Camp Pendleton at Oceanside, California, biggest waves they've seen in three years on the day I'm doing the sprint triathlon. And they're setting way out far. And I'm like, this is a nightmare. And so we're getting ready. Our little group, you know, there's groups of 50 that go out. I'm standing there waiting like, with one minute to go, you know, and I'm standing there. And this guy next to me, I'll never forget, we're looking at these waves and I'm thinking, this is going to be bad. I literally was thinking that. And this guy next to me is like, hey, man, you ever done this before? I don't know who this guy was. I go, no, this is my first time. How about you? He goes, yeah. He goes, this is my third one this year. He goes, but I've never seen waves like that. I'm like, well, that's encouraging. <laughs> literally, the gun goes off and we swim out. Not a problem. Boom, straight out. Like, boom, because you can go under the wave. It's, you just know how to do it. Boom, you go out. Coming back in. Man, I got in, in this, you get into this set, and I'm thinking, this is a disaster. I'm coming back in, the waves are starting to set. I'm a quarter of a mile out, and I'm thinking, this is bad. I look over, and all the jet skis are pulling people out of the water because they're drowning, including the guy that, you know, I was talking to before. He took off on the final jet ski. They were pulling him. And I'm like, don't take him, take me. God needs me. Um, I'm yelling out anything I can. You don't need him. He ain't going to heaven. Um... And so I'm swimming. Literally, there's nobody out. There's no jet skis. And honest to God, Pastor Jason, I am literally scared to death. I am praying the whole time. I am praying and I'm paddling. And I'm praying and I'm paddling the entire time. Never once did I pray. And you know what? Now that I'm praying, I don't need to paddle. Blah, 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 blah. I, that didn't happen. Because I knew I had to do both. I had to pray. Help me out. But I also had to what? I had to paddle. Battle belongs to the Lord. Whatever you're facing, the battle belongs to the Lord. But the fight belongs to you. I don't know what you need to fight for, but all I know is that the fight belongs to you. Now, here's two, two quick thoughts that won't come up on the screen. Just write these down, because these are really great, great thoughts for you. You ever thought about this? Truth number one, Goliath wasn't David's greatest battle. Goliath was David's greatest blessing. Now listen, you know why? Because once he took down Goliath, which he did, that's not a spoiler alert, we all know that, he took down Goliath, understand something. He got, in modern times, $750 million. He received, as a bride, the, the daughter of the king. He didn't have to pay taxes or anybody in his family for the rest of their lives. That would have been enough for me to do it. I'm from California, uh, so <laughs> that would have been enough. 
But David knew. David, see, we always think that, that, that Goliath was David's greatest battle. It was actually David's greatest blessing. Because behind that Goliath lied so much reward. Have you ever thought about whatever Goliath you're facing today, that maybe it is not your greatest burden, it will become your greatest blessing? That whatever you're facing, if you'll attack it, the battle belongs to the Lord, the fight belongs to you, it'll become your greatest blessing. Here's point number two uh, uh, under that. Okay, it's not coming up on the screen. Just write it down. We always teach that God sent David to kill Goliath. Matter of fact, there used to be a little song back in the day about God sending David uh, to kill Goliath. You ever thought about this? That maybe, watch this, maybe God didn't send David to kill Goliath, but that God sent Goliath to reveal David? You ever thought about that? Maybe it's not that way. Maybe it was this way. It revealed who he really was. It revealed the kind of character he had. It revealed the kind of courage he had. It revealed the kind of strength he had. It revealed the kind of confidence he had in God. And it set him up to become the second king of Israel. But maybe it wasn't. Maybe it just, it wasn't that God sent David to kill Goliath, but that God sent Goliath to reveal David. Please understand something. Whatever you're facing right now, whatever trial, whatever you're going through, we all got it. We could, we have time. We go around this room. We all got stuff. You know, understand something. Whatever you're going through, we reveal you more than anything. It will reveal whether you are a finisher or you're or someone that quits. It will reveal whether you get through it or you give up. It will always reveal who you are. See, that's the thing about crisis. Crisis doesn't just display character. It also makes character. It's who you really are. And that's what it will do. Okay. Now let's go back to the story and start winding this down. Here we go. Back to the story. Okay. David shows up. Remember, none of the dudes are fighting. They're like, ah, man, this guy's too big. King says, come talk to me. David says, don't worry about it. I take care of sheep. I got the sheep thing down. I can handle Goliath. And the king says, all right, you want to go fight? He's probably thinking, you want to go die? Go ahead and die. Throws some armor on him. David says, this armor doesn't fit me. I don't like this. He goes over and grabs five stones out of a stream, puts them in his shepherd's bag. Remember shepherd's bag. We're going to come back to that in a second. Puts them in his shepherd's bag, grabs a slingshot. It's not a normal slingshot that we would think of, but I don't have time to explain it, so we'll just go with slingshot. And, uh, uh, And then he says, all right, I'll go out and I'll fight Goliath with my slingshot and my five little stones inside of my bag. Okay? Now, he shows up on the scene. And this is what he says. David replies to the Philistine, Goliath, you come to me with the sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heavens and army, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Oh my, look at this guy. Today, this is a teenager speaking to this monster of a man. Today, the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give your body, the dead bodies of your men to the birds and to the wild animals. This is the first episode of The Walking Dead. And just in case you want to know where it came from, this is where they got the idea. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with the sword and spear. Ah, look at this. This is the Lord's battle. I love it. I'm going to fight, but it's the Lord's battle, and he will give it to us. As Goliath moved close to attack, David quickly ran to meet him, reaching into his shepherd's bag. Remember that? Taking out one of the stones. There were five of them. He hurled it with a sling, hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. Now, here's the deal. And then he ultimately dies. Here it is. Write this down. Take a picture. Whatever. When others stood on the sideline, David stood on the front line. When others, help me out, when others stood on the what? Come on. When others stood on the what? David stood on the? Okay, that that was the difference from him. He didn't stand on the sideline. He said, you guys want to be on the sideline? You want to just watch Goliath come out and mock God and mock everything else? Not me. I'm getting on the front line. I'm getting on the front line to what God has for my life. I'm getting on the front line for whatever God wants me to do. That's the difference. Have you ever looked at other people's lives? Come on now, we all do. We're jealous. Certain people in the church, certain people that are Christians, like, man, everything just seems to work out for them. Look at them. Everything just goes great for them. You know, you ever just thought that maybe God just kind of blessed them because they're on the front line? You ever thought about that? Man, I want to encourage you to get on the front line. I don't know what that means for you. Get on the front line of this church. If you're not giving regularly, give regularly. Come on, trust God. You can't outgive him. He's not threatened by your giving. Like, oh, I don't know what I'm gonna do with that. He's got it. He's okay. <laughs> He's good. 
God's promises are not threatened by our insecurity. Trust me. And maybe it is that you need to serve at this church, or maybe you need to get on the front line of sharing your faith because it's been over a year since you ever invited anybody to church. Or maybe you need to get on the front line of your character or your walk with God or whatever it is, but something that God says, get on the front line and start going after it, both in this church and in your spiritual life outside of this church. Get on the front line. Don't stand on the sideline. Now, back to the story real quick. We, now listen, don't miss, don't miss this next 60 seconds. We often focus on the bag and ignore the basket. Remember the bag? Had five stones in it. He pulls one out, he hurls it and kills Goliath. Remember the basket? Filled with cheese and bread and he brings it to the brother. You ever thought about this? That, listen, listen, David did not come down from the mountain to fight. David came down from the mountain to serve. Ever thought about that? That was the only reason he was there. He wasn't there to fight. That happened later. He was there to serve. It was the serving that gave him the reward. It was the serving that brought him before Goliath. It was the serving that set up his place as the king. It was the serving. It wasn't the bag. It was the basket that opened up everything for his life. And it's the same for you and me. It's the basket that will open it up. God, I am going to serve you. God, I'm going to serve this church. God, I'm all in with my faith. I'm all in about fixing some of my problems. God, I am all in. And if I go all in, you'll go all out. If I let go of what's in my hand, God, you will let go of what's in yours. And then watch what God does. Hold nothing back today. Just say today. Today. I will hold nothing back. I want to encourage you to do that. I'm serious. When you're getting in the car, you're like, that's it. My giving, my serving, the problems that I'm facing, the Goliaths that I have in my life, that's it. Today is a different day. may just be another Sunday in November, but not for you. Not for you. Today's the day that turns everything around. Now, I want to encourage you to walk that way. Now, I told you I would turn the corner at the end. There is a battle that we all face. We all have different things we face. I got problems in my own life. You got problems in yours. We all got it. How we handle it, how we deal with it, what we learn from David as he faced Goliath. But there is a battle that we're all facing, and that battle is for the local church. I'm going to start winding this down, but if you could just stay focused, the battle is for the local church. Matter of fact, man, um, the local church is in a lot of trouble in America. Let me show you just real quick. Put this up on the screen for me, the next one. Look at this. If you, if you Google, go home tonight and Google America Church closing, here's what you'll find. Look at this. Come on, folks. This has got to grip your heart. The America Church is dying, the Milwaukee Independent. Top left, church going on belief in God, stand at a historic low. Fox News on the right, America Church is closing faster than new ones can open. Church is closing their doors in record numbers, ABC Denver News. Washington Post church membership has fallen below the majority for the first time in nearly a century. Folks, you look around, you have energy in this church, there's a few hundred people in this church, because that's because you have an amazing pastor, but that is not the normal. Okay, if you go up to this screen right here and you started Googling some of that, here's what you're gonna find out. For nine straight years, America has closed more churches than it's opened. America has been closing for five straight years, 100 to 200 churches per week. Not per month, not per year, per week. 1,500 pastors are quitting the ministry every month. 84% of churches are currently in decline. That's what you'll find when you start looking at this. And I'm telling you, folks, it's happening at a large number. Go to every denomination. And folks, how many would agree with me? That we used, to, we used to always say, some of you that are older might say, man, we used to say, America's not the same place it was 20 years ago. It's not the same place it was 20 months ago. Am I right? I'm not going to get all political, but man, there are laws that get passed and you're just thinking, what in the world? It's like common sense has become a superpower. <laughs> Some of you get that later. Um, it's a little delayed joke. You'll be laughing in the car. Think of me. But you look at it and here's what I, here's what I know, you guys. I could look at America and get upset. I could mock the president, mock this, that, mock whatever Congress, mock the mayor, mock the governor, mock whatever. I could make some comments on social media, talk with some friends at Starbucks, or I can actually do something about it. 
And we decided the best way to do something about it is to fight for the local church because the more the local church closes, the darker America gets. And we have to do something. We got to get on the front lines. And so we, I brought a bunch of guys together. Let me show you real quick this one too, real quick. Look at this. In 2000 America, the average size church in America was 137. Look what happened in 2020. It's just a constant drop. It keeps dropping. You guys, this is the bride of Christ. I don't know about you, but my bride's really important to me. I can't imagine that the bride of Christ is having a problem in America and we're, we can't stand on the sideline. I got a bunch of pastors together about three years ago in Dallas, Texas, about 15 of us. They got big old churches and we all sat there and said, I talked to them just like I did you and I go, guys, we got to do something about this. What are we going to do? And so we all started talking. I could, we could all just go back to our big churches and we're good. Everybody's good. I got 12 camp. I'm good. I'm good. But we can't, we can't let this go. You know why? Listen, folks, it's happening on our watch. Didn't happen on the generation before us. It's happening on our watch. So we got together and we thought, well, what could we do? And man, we're like, man, we need help. We started talking about these churches need to be rescued. Churches that are 30 or 40 and dying need to be rescued. So then someone says, what if we, you know, and I said, well, what if we call it church rescue? You know, like bar rescue. And I, I had my hand up. I go, you guys heard of bar rescue? All the pastors are like, no, no, never heard it before. I was fasting. Um, <laughs> liars. And uh, uh, I give her a bar rescue. I go, what if we did a church rescue? Now watch, watch. What if we give them like a one to two years of free coaching where they get in the group of like five and we help them figure out how to get over 100 because we think that's the mark to start getting healthy again. And then what if we give them like some free resources? And then what if we give them emergency funding? Like they're, they're behind $11,000 in their rent, but they're starting to grow again, but they need some help. Boom, we'll give them 11 grand. We have given away hundreds of thousands of dollars in the last three years. And then what if during the middle of that, we take them up to the rock mountains and give them a four-day soul care retreat, and we don't charge them anything. We just help them. It officially launched two years ago this past August. We're now approaching 600 churches that have gone into the rescue program. Isn't that amazing? What God has done, well, let me show you real quick, real quick. I want to show you a couple of pictures. This is Alejandro in San Antonio, Texas. He called us up about a year and a half ago. Hey, my church is about 30 people. We don't know what to do. We don't know how to fix it. Uh, I, I, we just don't know what to do. We got together with him. We started working with him. And, man, we put him into a cohort. We gave him some emergency fund. We did all this stuff. And I got a report three weeks ago that his church is now, last week was 200, or three weeks ago was 205 people from 30. To, the church was about to die. Here's another one right here, my buddy Charles in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, he calls me up and he calls up, uh, us up about eight months ago and said, dude, I need help. We're about to die. We're closing the door. We're not sure what we're going to do. And then all of a sudden we got together with him and man, it just started growing and growing. I got a report from him two weeks ago. It was 187 people was in his church. Church was about to close. Over and over and over again, we are seeing this. I think of Brian in Evansville, Indiana who called us up crying on the phone with 20 people in his church. He told me, and I quote, we're giving the church back to the bank. We're behind three months. We don't know what to do. I have 20 people in my church. So Brian, hang with us. We're going to help you. We got his money. We got the, started getting the payments back to current, started coaching him. I was there. I was personally there three or four weeks ago. There were 425 people there on Sunday in two years. Those are rescued churches. And so we, so we went back to like, okay, this is great. How are we going to pay for all this? We're going to get healthy churches to support the unhealthy churches. That's what you guys are doing starting in January 2024. You guys, when you give, when you tithe, when you help, when you give to missions and all that different stuff, not only are you doing all the amazing things that this amazing church does, but there are churches that are going to be being rescued in 2024 because of you. This is the bride of Christ. Let's rescue the bride of Christ. I want to thank you in advance for helping us rescue churches. Thank you, Jason, for partnering with us to rescue. You've got an amazing pastor, and thank you for partnering with us. And we want to just rescue churches. This is the bride of Christ. And you know what, man? I don't know if we're going to be able to keep up with the churches that are closing, but if we go down, we're going to go down swinging. <laughs> right? I want to thank you for giving. I want to show you a video of a church in just a moment. I want to show you a video of a church right here in New Mexico 
that we've been helping and what God has done in this church. But before I do that, I want to in advance give you a free gift. I just want to give you a gift. There's a great book called Unboxed. It did extremely well by uh, uh, one of our lead members. So here's what I want you to do. Grab your phone. Everybody grab your phone. Don't I? You know, that's the one that you've been acting like you're taking notes and texting. Um, <laughs> you know the one. <laughs> what are we going to do? When's this guy going to shut up? Whatever things that you've been saying. I want you to, here's what I want you to do. I want you to t- just take a picture of that. Yeah, I think it'll ask for your name and your email. Once it gives you your email, it'll, it'll show up today, and you'll get a free book. I'm telling you, this is an incredible book about living outside of the boundaries we put on ourselves. It's a phenomenal book. So make sure you put your name, your email in there. Make sure you get that. This is, a, this is just a, you don't have to have $24.95 for it on Amazon. It's just our way of saying thank you in advance for giving to Harvest which helps support rescue churches. So make sure that you get all that. Meanwhile, I want you to check out this video of my friend Joel Wood. Some of you know him, Waymaker Church in Roswell, New Mexico. He came to us broken, needing help. We helped him. Look what God did, and then your pastor will come. Thank you, guys. The story of this church and the way that it began is uh, is one that was built off of failure. Uh, there was a church split and our church began. Uh, about 20 years later, the pastor of the church ended up in moral failure. Really, they ended up uh, uh, weathering some pretty tough years. And uh, at the end of that, uh, they had grown back to about 60 or 70 uh, on a good weekend. And, and that was about the time that we came. Pastoring uh, before church when we came into our life was, uh, was scary. Uh, it was uh, very difficult. We had never been in this position before. And uh, as we came here, man, I, I wasn't really sure what to do. I wasn't sure how to make the dreams in my heart actually come to life uh, with what God had told us. As a pastor's wife, you do your best to support your husband. What was difficult was honestly to see him frustrated because he had vision, but he didn't have direction. He didn't know what questions he should be asking. I was an addict for years. I was at home and I was drinking and all the family was gone doing something. I was just sitting in my chair drinking whiskey by myself and we got a call that uh, my wife's mom got hit by a drunk driver. Um, woke up in the morning and that, that whiskey was still there, dumped it out. Um, and uh, get rid of it all, uh, started, started going to church. Growing up, I just had more of that religious background rather than the relationship with Christ. So then as time went on, I just kept thinking to myself, like, man, there has to be more to God than just this. Like, we can't live up to this. I got really sad and angry and um, bitter. And instead of like realizing what it was, I started taking it out on my husband. As time progressed, I started having an emotional affair with this man. And after I had a physical affair with him, I remember going into the bathroom and looking in the mirror and saying, who am I? Who is this? I have never felt the Holy Spirit in my entire life. And whenever I worshiped for the first time at Waymaker, he just overtook me. sense of almost being rescued when Church Boom came because I didn't know what questions to ask. I didn't know what I should be looking for. And even in my coaching calls, I would tell Chris, I I don't even know what I should be asking you right now. Would you help me? And I realized it wasn't until somebody with understanding came to help unlock the potential uh, through the coaching. That's really what, what set us on that course. It's 
hard to place a value on what we've received uh, through Church Boom, through the team at Church Boom, Pastor Chris himself. I'm also thankful that when they came in, the tools that uh, Church Boom brought, it wasn't to get us to become something other than ourselves. And there's so many amazing resources that, uh, that we're able to utilize. When I think of this church, I think of, I think of happiness. I think of a, a place where I'm safe, where my family's safe. Whenever I come to church now, I just feel so alive. Like, I look forward to it. I can't get enough of church. I need this place, and I couldn't do my life without Jesus and the people that are in this place. Why don't you stand with me? Are you glad you came to church today? Wow. Wow, Chris, thank you for coming. Thank you for that word. Thank you for the chance for Harvest to partner with you to rescue churches. I love that line at the end that rescued, uh, rescued churches, rescue people. We're, we're in. We're, are, we, are we in? Okay. I'm in. All right. All right. Pastor Chris used a, a phrase. I wrote it in my notes. Um, hold nothing back today. Hold nothing back today. I felt like that was the line I was supposed to bring you back to in our final moments together today. I, I would love it if you would hold nothing back today. I don't, I don't know what that means for you. It's going to mean something different for probably every person, for every family, to hold nothing back from the Lord. What is it that the Lord is asking you to do today? What commitment is he asking you to make today? What, what decision is he asking you to make today? We finished our last series last week with Breakthrough Sunday. And y'all, the testimonies have been coming in all week long of what God has done in our lives as we just surrender to him. That, that's really, that's the word, is surrender. Hold nothing back from him. I've asked our worship team if they'd lead us in one final worship song. We sang it earlier today, so it's going to be familiar. You're going to know it. And uh, it's this cry, I want more of you. Nothing else will do. I want, I want more of you. And I would just ask you in these final couple of minutes, hold nothing back from the Lord. Hold nothing back from the Lord. And I'm going to come back and we're going to pray and we're going to see what God wants to do in our lives. Are you ready to go all, all in for like five minutes? Will you do that? Go all in for five minutes worship team come and lead us for just a moment. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Fellowship Podcast. For more information, visit harvestabq.org.